So, you've got faith over here, right? A chance over there. Like yin and yang. Sort of. Oh, Shiva and Shakti. Lennon and McCartney. Well, <laughs> look, Julian and Theo. Yeah, there you go. Julian and Theo met among a million protesters in a rally by chance. But they were there because of what they believed in, in the first place, their faith. They wanted to change the world, and their faith kept them together. But by chance, Dylan was born. This is him? Yeah, that's it. He'd, he'd have been about your age. Magical child. Beautiful. Their faith put in praxis. Praxis, what <laughs> happened? Chance. It was their sweet little dream. He had little hands, little legs, little feet, little lungs. And in 2008, along came the flu pandemic. And then by chance, he was gone. Oh, Jesus. You see, Theo's faith lost out to chance. So, why bother if life's going to make its own choices? scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello, amigos, and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And you know, guys, he was here a minute ago. He was, and he kind of, he was like, hey, pull my finger. And then I couldn't because we're, you know, hundreds of miles apart. Uh, maybe thousands. I don't know. I don't speak geography. Then he pulled his own finger and got a weird look on his face, frankly. And then he awkwardly ran off to take care of something. I don't, I don't know, but we'll find out. Hopefully he's good to go when he gets back. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you back into our series, this penultimate episode. I don't even like talking this way because I've enjoyed this so much and it's been such a balm for me, but this series on learning how to lose titled in the morning. If you want to know more about this episode, there's a whole smattering of them before it, but it begins with our infinity war conversation from, I don't know, three months ago, four months ago. Uh, so check that episode out to get a feel for what this series is about. If you are 
just wanting to play catch up, maybe you're new to the show, you can go to the website and at the blog area, just type in in the morning in the field, in the search field, morning, M-O-U-R, and it'll pull up all of the episodes associated with this series. Uh, but I am getting ahead of myself because here at The Fear of God, we explore, we do not explain, except for right now when I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. Certain episodes you can watch of The Fear of God on YouTube, and you can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, wherein you will find, as previously mentioned, episode archives and merchandise. Everybody loves some merchandise with me and Riri's name emblazoned upon it, our faces, that is, emblazoned upon it, maybe our names, depending on which one it is, including cell phone cases, t-shirts, campaign buttons, face masks, magnets, pillows, read! Hey, buddy! You know what's so amazing about this moment? My impulse is to like slightly chastise you for juvenile humor that I'm like, no, I did this to myself. You know, <laughs> I have no one to blame but yep. me for what is transpiring. You're the right one now. who said, you know, pull my finger. <laughs> pull my finger. <laughs> oh, hey, hey my friend. Oh, man. This episode. Oh, my gosh. Don't. don't let's not. Let's not wish our life. <laughs> let's just enjoy the moment and kind of walk moment to moment through this conversation. Um, how let's, let's do a brief check-in. Okay. In the morning, man, in the morning in 2020, 2020, those have been the tent poles of this year. Have you, maybe you could in brief call this little pocket in the middle of in the morning, but it's not really the middle anymore. It's no. the end of the morning. We're cresting well, towards home. The morning may just be beginning. I don't know. Um, but how are you feeling about this series? Well, in many ways, it's like it's- Listeners read didn't know I was going to ask him this. No, 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 I didn't. In many ways, it's fascinating to me because we have literally spent the entire year with, with, with only a couple of brief exceptions. We've literally spent the entire year kind of assessing the last 20 years in horror filmmaking with some conversations that have really been- broad and galvanizing and and of course they themselves are also kind of part and piece of everything else that's going on and then we've spent it traversing through the leftovers with this notion about i think i have really been very appreciative of getting the chance to think through learning how to lose i know that's our clever pithy mm. tagline on it but i think that has been a consideration that drumbeat has just kind of been uh, an undercurrent in all of my interactions since we started this series, conceptualized it, launched into it. Now, as we very, very rapidly are approaching the culmination and conclusion of it, um, I just think it's been very valuable. I think I would probably be mentally and emotionally, perhaps even spiritually, um, would probably be significantly worse off um, if not for, I mean, there's been a number of other factors. I have to, you know, acknowledge my family, my wife, you know, my dear friends like yourself, but also just on a creative level, um, the ability to contextualize story through this lens has been really helpful, mm -hmm. has been really, mm -hmm. um, it's allowed me, I think there've been a couple of times where 
our conversation, and I don't know if listeners experience this because you and I are just, we are decades long friends now. And, um, you know, it's just the, the ability to process some of these thoughts in this way in, yeah. in a relatively safe conversation and in the sense, you know, it's very safe with you, but relatively safe in, safe in that it's public. <laughs> um, sure. But, uh, but in that. Wait, what? <laughs> What, what, huh? what do you what do you mean? Oh, who's, it? who's in here with me? <laughs> Did you think somebody's behind you? Um Get thing behind me. Oh wow. But um but no, in s- sincerely, like just that uh there have been a couple of times where I feel like kind of walked back from the edge from some of these conversations. And again, I don't know that they've been terribly profound enough for listeners to have had the same experience, but I know I've really appreciated getting to contextualize things in this way and I'm very grateful for it in that regard. How about yourself? What would you say in answer to your own question? Um, in truth, because I just, on the spur of the moment, asked it, I actually hadn't thought too deeply about what my response would be, but I wish I made the time to really excavate the off-pod life to incorporate the on-pod learning. Uh, but that said, I do feel like, like I'm, I'm a, this is not a thing I'm proud of about me, but I'm a long, it takes me a long time to learn things, learn things. Mm. So I actually kind of like this long arc of conversation, yeah, you know, this, sure, this, of course, this multi, multi month engagement with, uh, really a few core ideas, even though there's spokes to the wheel itself. Yeah, sure. Um, but I think how fruitful in the morning has been for me. Uh, I, I still am, no pun intended, haunted by our ghost story conversation. Yeah. And that, that, yeah. that, that idea of, of place mm. and how your place is yours and, and, and you occupy it. Uh, and, or you should. <laughs> it's the call. Occupy yeah. your space. Mm. Um, and, and all the ramifications of that. Right, um, right, and and how how your capacity to wholly and with health occupy your space affects others you encounter. Right, and right. and to me, in the morning is about cognizance of the tragedy of life. You're in it. It's it's you're, you're you are within that stream. Right, right. But as you reminded us last week. Even in that stream, laughter and joy are found, right, and right. are to be exercised. And so, uh, no, I, I've, I've, I don't know that we will do, and I don't even know that you and I intended. Hey, we're going to have two tent poles that we're operating that we're orbiting <laughs> for an entire year, but that's effectively what has happened. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, but I like it. I'm grateful for the, the meditation, the long, the long path meditation of it, mm-hmm. um, and it makes you kind of pine for that for the future so who knows yeah yeah um so now that has been a fun little uh path to walk there and we will we will journey along to the ship called tomorrow but first it's business time business time it's business business time hey why don't you do sound bites and then i'm gonna do book club you got it all right you finish with what you're watching okay so, uh, our first bit of business is 
Listeners, we are approaching rapidly episode 200. I can't believe it. Nathan can't believe it. You probably can't believe it's it. It's happening. But it is happening. In just a few weeks, we are approaching episode 200. 200 episodes of The Fear of God, logged, booked, available in your feed. Uh, not any, not even including bonus episodes, etc. But for that, we have a very, I promise you, very special piece of specific content that we're covering. And incorporated into that, we're going to be reading off some icebreaker questions that have been happening over at the Facebook group. And one big thing we'd like is for you to deliver us some sound bites. All this is, is 45 seconds to a minute on your voice memo recorder. Talk to us about why you like the show, uh, what you enjoy, what brought you to the show, if you want, not all of these things, but any of these things, what brought you to the show, what keeps you listening to the show, what do you appreciate about the show, um, if you want to mention a favorite episode, anything, any specific thing. You don't have to try to fit it all in. Just any single little nugget or something that you want to drop in uh, to let us know uh, why you stay connected to this community. Um, drop us that little sound bite, record it on your voice memo recorder, and email it to fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, and we are going to incorporate those into our 200th episode. So please do send us those. That's exciting. It's very exciting. Um, please We've received some, and y'all are doing great. Those of you who have sent it, perfect. Yes, uh, but we, we definitely want uh, more and want as many as you can send to us. So uh, please, by all means. Um, following sound bites, mm-hmm. Riri, we may have... We may have overestimated our our ask for book reading at one time, <laughs> but we're going to do it because we got a second round of book club. Book My joke there is it's going to be followed quickly on the heels of a quarterly king, but uh, <laughs> book club is quickly upon us, fast approaching uh, for the month of October, right? Yes, indeed. For the month of October in TV guidepost style. Right. Uh, meaning in chunks in the periphery through a series of episodes culminating in one big episode. So you are given, being given plenty of time to begin this little journey. We are going to be covering Ray Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way Comes, oh which gosh. I think I read in high school. Uh, but this will be a relatively fresh, <laughs> I was going to say a relatively fresh read, but that's totally reserved for you, buddy. <laughs> um, uh, sometimes I'm not so fresh, fresh but <laughs> no. <laughs> Take a bath, brother. Um, <laughs> relatively fresh uh, look for me, and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, you should be. It's great. So, yeah, Something Wicked This Way Comes. We're going to be uh, uh, going through that all together. So, if you yes. are listening to this, check your library, check Amazon, use your Kindle, use whatever you got, grab a copy. Let's do this together. This oh, is going to be fun. Let's, as Matt Jameson says, be in it then. Uh, yes. Let's jump in this book together and wade through the what Reed assures me are weighty and lovely themes to be found. Oh my Lord. Yeah. I can't, I don't know. I know, I know that I have hyped this book up. You have, I don't know that it is possible to overhype it. I don't know if it's possible. I really don't know. I'm kidding. (laughs) It's first words out of his mouth. (laughs) in the first episode will be like, he'll be like, "Hmm, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Reed. (laughs) So what's the big deal about this book? (laughs) (laughs) What's the big deal? I was hoping for something exciting this way to come. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> instead, <laughs> instead, something wicked this something way. Something this way comes. <laughs> um, okay, so so um, yeah. w- one final piece of business is uh, the ever-recurring, uh, perhaps when you give us your sound bites, the ever-recurring uh, watching, reading, listening to. Uh, if you want to go back and listen 
to some of our previous. You can check the timestamps to see when we have done those. Um, go back and, and we would love to deliver your special rendition, whatever that may sound like of the watch and read and listening to theme. Uh, we have quite a, quite a few. We still have a few more that we need to debut on the show. Uh, but by all means, submit those to us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we will gladly feature them on the show, um, at our next available moment. So, uh, so yeah, that uh, concludes to us. Business done. Ow. Speaking of, you and I didn't pre-brief this, but we didn't. Can I do the most recent one? Do it. By all means, please. Uh, so this is a brand new whatcha. Uh, those of you who have submitted stuff that hasn't been heard yet, we're getting to you. This is just proximity bias. But, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jackson Harper. What you watching? What you reading? What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? Tell me about all your recent media intake. What you watching, what you reading, what you listening to. Hallelujah. That's amazing. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I love that people are kind of putting their own spin on it. Oh, I love it. That Couldn't have anticipated that. And it's We've got a couple others that are similar in that spirit of putting your own tune spin on it so it's a lot of fun uh so reed as jackson so eloquently uh intoned for us my brother my friend what you been watching what you been reading what have you been listening to it is as of this episode it is we are ready to dive into uh halloween season okay Mm. so when i was a child growing up oh boy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My goodness, Michael, let me, let me, last week was a hella long episode we got to be careful here man just skip to the end <laughs> two hours later it's like oh my god I, it's just a- <laughs> I know i know 10 minutes i said we're not going to skip to the end but please skip to the end <laughs> so um okay so uh nickelodeon for mm-hmm. uh, you know anybody who enjoyed that network would know that every saturday night at nickelodeon they had a very special lineup called snick and I don't remember the precise years at which SNCC was broadcast, but I remember the lineup. It always, it was like a two hour block of time. And it started with Doug, the cartoon, and then it went into Rugrats, and then it went into Ren and Stimpy, and then it went into one of my very favorite, you know, horror themed shows of my childhood, Are You Afraid of the Dark, the Canadian based uh, horror anthology series. So, and, and I'm starting early. It's September, but I'm, I'm already doing it. Um, and, uh, I kind of thought, you know, there's, there's a couple of fun little TV shows that are on my radar that I either have never watched all of them or have not seen them in a very long time. So I built my own little special SNCC lineup, a Halloween themed SNCC lineup. Okay. So it's just four shows. This is so great. <laughs> so what I am doing is I am actually watching each day well, in, in the evening sometime I watch an episode of each of these four shows. And uh, there are different amounts of episodes, so I'm going to have some crossover or whatever. But I start off, and this is just my own little design. I start off with a show called Tales from the Crypt Keeper. Not Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt Keeper. It is a cartoon that was run concurrently to Tales from the Crypt, but it's a little bit 
lighter. It's yeah. child based. It's, it's animated. Friendly. It's uh, it is actually kind of like it's palatable and and you know appropriate little monster spookies whatevers. Okay, so start with that, and then I move on to one of my old favorites, the monsters, and <laughs> have an episode of the monsters. Okay. And is this, this nightly? How, what is the yeah? What's like, going on? Like here? one oh each, one, one, like an episode each night, just to sort of parse it out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and, not like all of these in one night, no, and then all of them again. No, 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 no. Oh, Okay, okay. So the lineup in in Snick yeah. fashion is an episode of Crypt Keeper, an episode of The Monsters. Then I am watching uh, the Rod Serling. Rod Serling is more known for Twilight Zone, obviously, mm-hmm. but he had. Not long after Twilight Zone, he had an anthology series. If Twilight Zone is considered, and we've covered it on the show, but if Twilight Zone is considered more sci-fi, I was there. His yeah, his series that followed it called Night Gallery is much more horror based, and and so um, I watch an episode of Night Gallery. Um, Rod Serling's Night Gallery, which is very much like Twilight Zone. If you think, okay, Twilight Zone, which had its scary episodes, but much more deliberate into the horror themes and horror tropes. And then I end off my little lineup with an episode of Kolchak the Night Stalker, starring Darren McGavin. And that's my little snick lineup. Tales from the Crypt Keeper, which can be found on the free streaming service Tubi, T-U-B-I. Or not to be. Or not to be. Uh, the Monsters, which is on the newly released Peacock Network. Um, and then uh, Night Gallery and Kolchak the Night Stalker, which are on the NBC app. So that's so I pull up my little lineup, and I've got my little up next on, on my little Apple TV. is the most mm. read thing that I ever read. <laughs> um, and I love it. Uh, anytime someone says the word Peacock, it makes... Did you ever watch 30 Rock? No, I, I never got to it. Yeah. There's this great bit. In season one, where Tracy Morgan, you know, the show is about a sketch show. It's very SNL inspired mm, and or mm. very inspired by SNL. And Tracy Morgan plays this, you know, good hearted doofus <laughs> who is headlining the SNL within the show. Mm, okay. And they're trying to get him, but it's NBC within the show. So it's actually NBC. That's funny. And and they're trying to get him to do this promo spot on his like lunch break or whatever. And he just cannot get the script right and they just keep doing take after take and one of them he's supposed to say i'm proud as a peacock because it's nbc and he's like i'm proud as a peacock baby <laughs> and it's just it's so tracy morgan but he says peacock and it's just really well, funny so you said peacock that is quite funny uh yes funny. And, uh, and also a really funny running gag and that is that he did all the black versions of famous not black movies like um a, 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 an affair to remember black <laughs> and you know, <laughs> just, they just they just put dumb riffs wow. on the titles of the old movies, and, and yeah, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Fair to um, remember black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Thirty wow. Rock for you. Uh, what have I been watching? Not Thirty Rock. Not in about a decade, actually. Oh, okay. Um, uh, we started a new show mm. that my brother turned me on to, or at least alerted me to its existence Boy, called i'm it. sorry have you heard of i'm sorry we've watched so our cousins <laughs> you just are, have this knowing look of like oh, oh that one oh that one no our cousins are very big fans of that show and we have watched a couple of episodes with them admittedly i found it very funny admittedly quite clever do you and your wife both have the same cousin that'd be a little weird that's uh, no i just always okay. refer to our cousin because in my mind we are one and so that is 
it is my it is my wife's cousin and so uh but uh they uh kind of pointed us in the direction of i'm sorry as well we've watched a couple of episodes but no we didn't like formally start it and engage with it they kind of picked a greatest hits one night when we were hanging out long before you know global pandemic days um Uh, okay but they well i've never heard of it until global pandemic days and now we're uh, i don't know where we are we're still in the first season but um i'm sharing this because it fills the gap of if you were to say what are you watching right now that is what i'm watching i do recommend it but it is with a very cautious mind towards racy humor oh it is very racy humor but (laughs) when they nail the joke and they do with some routine nail the joke it's hysterical she's Uh, hilarious she's hilarious yeah yeah she's she's she's, as the kids say she's a bit extra but <laughs> indeed indeed but she is hilarious yeah no, she's um great. so that's one the other one read is i decided to debut to you here that i am uh four episodes into the best around uh the one and only cobra kai yes <laughs> i am so freaking okay so no i okay so here's the thing let me Four episodes, so I'm not yes. far because there's too much to watch for Let- this show that we do. <laughs> I can't get through it all. It's so true. <laughs> I've got I've got children too who need to be fed, and a wife that gets mad if I don't help. <laughs> if I don't help. <laughs> Just, I'm not gonna make the joke. I'm, I'm not just gonna, gonna crane it. kick you guys into the wall. It's so funny. <laughs> so four episodes in, um, I want to know an honest assessment. Well, first of all, I have to know what was your crossover with Karate Kid before this like how i know you had seen Dude, it but i mean like like you- a knight in shining armor from a long time ago i am all about the karate kid that's awesome okay like, that's awesome one and two i don't have much yes. of a memory for three other than the steven seagal knockoff that they <laughs> he puts his feet or hands in the ice bucket or whatever mm, that's all yeah, i remember literally yeah, whatever um one and two, though, dude, man. Uh, that Peter Cetera soundtrack for one in- for the second film is second, just yeah. baller yes i mean uh, that you know, Daniel San with whatever her name is off in Okinawa that made this young romantic's heart flutter. Oh. Um, you know, he he tries the crane kick and it fails. It failed, mm, man. It failed. Can't do that. Yes. Nope. nope. Not going to work. Nope. Over there. And you got to do the drum, the drum mm, punch thing. It's a great moment. Great, great moment. We yeah, we yeah. showed my son Karate Kid and for his viewing the first time, and we never quite know how it's going to go. We never know if he's going to be like into it or not, but he was very enjoying of it and he then he kept really for a week it. after being like mercies for the week and you're like well that might be the wrong takeaway <laughs> not before school don't watch karate kid before school yeah, um, yeah. So, no, oh. so why'd no. you get in trouble at school i swept the leg it's what they told me to do um that said you are actually brushing up against my only critique so far only oh. criticism so far mm. um which is for as much like I haven't rewatched those films in 20 years. Okay, sure. I mean, it's been mm-hmm. quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my memory is where they sit high. I don't know if they hold up, but that's not the question here. The question here, or rather the criticism here is it in the rear view, the first two films at least are decent, if not slightly edgy in terms of mild violence, though nothing compared to, output now yeah of course family yeah. films mm-hmm. they're 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 family you right. can enjoy them with the family right i think if i have any criticism of cobra kai so far it's simply the language feels like an overuse for what 
for how well they recontextualize a mythology that mm-hmm. that kind of like Apocalypto. There's no reason Apocaly- Apocalypto should be as good as a film as that is. There's kind of no reason this should work as well as it does, God even just does four episodes it. in. Yes. But but conceptually, it does, and it does well. Yes. And if you'd ask ten year old me, hey man, <laughs> Johnny Lawrence, he's the man, right? I'm like. Hell no. Now I'm like, huh? He's kind of like me, washed up and, you know. Uh, but uh, point being, <laughs> wow. For what on its face is an extension of a quote unquote family franchise, I don't love how much mm. language is there. Cause it's like, there's a I lot of language. Yeah. I don't know that I would, and I don't know where the series goes. So I'm not speaking to the, to the narrative content, but it would give me pause. To have my kids watch it, which is an unfortunate sort of takeaway. Uh, so, from that standpoint, yeah. And because now this is me speaking to the first four episodes, I love as an adult, mature consumer of media and art. I love shades of gray and and nuanced portrayals of traditional quote unquote villains. But I don't know where this is going. And it's like, are we celebrating Cobra Kai? Which, as an adult viewer, I can get on board with. But again, it's like, and again, all I'm all I'm sort of lensing this through is kid movies, family movies. Mm-hmm. Now, given the mature paint over, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm so, just rattling. I'm just chattering at this point. I do enjoy the show. I love the best thing about it. The best around, Reed. <laughs> This is the best around. Nothing is ever going to get this part of this show down is it's 25 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm like, sheesh, I'll do a whole season right now. 25 <laughs> minutes. I'm on you board. You're like, wait a minute, Nathan, you've just kind of defeated the purpose of your, your praise here. Anyway. Yes. That's um, my take on so, the first four episodes. So this is not an episode about Cobra Kai, but this nope. is really your You're fault because you brought this up. Right. Um, I know. So, uh, I, I'm not going to spoil for you where it goes, if I can, not even by like even hinting it, but I will say that one of the things I have been so consistently just impressed by is their grasp of the complexity of character and for a show. So ostensibly Karate Kid is, you know, yeah, great family fair and it's kind of of a pocket very, you know, sort of in the 80s, but it has a kind of a timeless feel to it in its themes and resonances and stuff. Um, it's kind of like the kid, like a uh, like a kid version of like Rocky, which ironically, it's mm, directed sure. by the same director. But um, didn't know that. So, but what I love about Cobra Kai is, yes, Johnny Lawrence. I will say that like I'm not always on his side, but the show does a ridiculously impressive job of helping me understand him. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, yeah. And, and of, it's of doing great. What it's doing. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I will say that I think pound for pound and beat for beat hit for hit and kick for kick. If you want to, that the first season is stronger than the second, but the stakes are raised in a way in the second season. Like I was really like, re- like really, you're just really going for it. You're just going to go ahead and, and dive right into like, do they, do they, does the creative team hologram in Pat Morita? You know, it's like <laughs> oh my digital, digital you know, creation. They, they have some, I won't say when it comes, but they have some really touching, like 
shades really? of Pat Morita That's in, cool. what, in what comes up. Well, and like, and yeah. and it, uh, for fear someone might listen to my diatribe a minute ago and be like, that was a really random critique to make. <laughs> I do think there's an incredible amount of positive, even just in these first four episodes. Like, I was ready, based purely on marketing, for Daniel to be the villain. And so in that mm, second episode, right. it's like, oh, well, this is actually a lot more smart than it appears at first to oh, really is. couch both of them as protagonists. Um, yes. Uh, ostensibly. And um, I love it's a it is a weird world we live in that <laughs> this can exist and work, but mm-hmm. it works to have 30 years later a character who is played by an actor that we recognize and is the same actor. And you yes. can layer in flashbacks to each of their actual films and experiences right. that we saw 30 years ago and be like, dang, this is kind of weird, but kind of cool. I don't know how I feel about this. I'm <laughs> old. It's great. You know, <laughs> I no, it's great. Karate, you know, so yeah, I, all of that stuff. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. And, and, so and cool. honestly, yeah. And I'm, ex- I'm super excited. I actually don't know. So YouTube where the show premiere did green light a third season. I do not uh-huh. know if the new season, the third season, now that Netflix has it, I right. don't know if the the new season will premiere on YouTube first and then go to Netflix or if it'll debut on Netflix. I don't know. I would imagine but, YouTube probably has a firm grasp on yeah. the first round of that. Yeah, probably. But um, but what thrilled me, and then we can close this down because, God, I could go on for another hour about Cobra Kai. But um, what thrilled me was... This was the show that my wife and I, to our friends and family, were like championing for months and months, for more than a year. We were like, guys, if you have any affection in your heart for Karate Kid, you need to check out Cobra Kai. It is a fantastic show. It's a great extension of the characters in the story. You're going to love it. You're going to have a great time. It's not pure nostalgia. It's substantive story, and you're going to have a, a great time watching it. So you need to check it out. Um, and then now, of course, it has hit Netflix and is like everybody's talking about it and 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 I'm not one of those to be like mm, yeah y'all should have gone on the party a long time I'm just del- Are you well maybe in a little bit but um <laughs> but but toot, no toot that horn Riri. <laughs> but no just more so I'm just I'm just so glad that so many people have watched it because I and I th- I say this this is gonna sound a bit grandiose and maybe a bit pretentious but they clearly like loved this franchise and these characters and tried very, very hard to do some strong creative work. And I feel like in any context that deserves to be seen and that deserves to be applauded. So I am, I am grateful that it is getting, I agree with you by the way about the whole, like it does feel like if the shows were kind of PG edging into P sorry, if the movies were like PG edging into PG 13, I feel like, the show is kind of PG-13, sometimes edging into R with with yeah. some of its language. You know, there's no like like sex stuff in it and stuff like that. But it's just, you know, that that's that is a, a, a fair critique. But, but decent amounts of F bombs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um and so so to that end, that that aside, man, it's a fantastic extension of the characters. And I'm just delighted you're watching it. Now you you've you've opened Pandora's box now, so now I expect text messages of uh how you're progressing oh, through the show did and what not you think. Send you anything because I, I knew I would use it yep. like a I like bet. a crane kick to the jaw. I bet. Well, why don't you? Um, why don't you let old uh, our, our good friend? Uh, what? What you watching? What you reading? What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? 
Tell me about all your recent media intake. What you watching, what you reading, what you listening to. You know what is really <laughs> funny about that? Other than just that it exists and what it is, is my wife's asleep in the next room. Mm-hmm. And she just probably got jarred awake by Jackson's just lovely <laughs> intonation. Lovely vocal delivery, being like, what in the world? So I would, be, I would be remiss if I did not mention, listeners. Mention it then. Uh, as you can tell, Jackson is of the vocally gifted variety. He is also a pretty skilled songwriter, singer-songwriter, and an independent musician. And if you hop over to your music platform of choice, you will probably find his album, The Killing Floor, which I highly recommend. So really? uh, I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. So, Way to um, bury the lead there, Jackson. <laughs> So, so no, uh, go check out his album, The Killing Floor, which is available on a number of streaming music platforms. And if you, as you can tell, he has quite the voice and I, we feel grateful that he has gifted us with uh, this wonderful intonation of the watch and read and listen and theme song. But he's got some really great songs on The Killing Floor and deserves to be checked out. So thank you, Jackson. We appreciate it. On that note, it's time to penultimately go back to sort of Australia a little bit a little bit Australia a little bit limbo if you will a little bit purgatory a little bit sideways world you are burying lead you are you are not doing right one now I'm a little confused you're doing you you are you are doing Australian voice we need more Russian with international assassin this is not you know Australia. Well, uh, uh, this is my uh, voiceover, and uh, <laughs> I don't know where you came from, Vlad. But uh, go back. What, what segment? Go back is to this? the shadows. What segment is this? <laughs> uh, this is uh, this is uh, TV guideposts. Uh, we're going to be discussing leftovers. Uh, there truly are not any Australian characters in this episode. It's a it's a great show. Mama's goulash. Check it out. Goes fantastic next time. Yes, leftovers. It's yeah, wonderful. I get the joke. It's funny. It's a funny one. You didn't uh, laugh this, though. This particular installment, we're going to be discussing uh, uh, the most powerful man in the world and his identical twin brother. And uh, sir, I know you him. can join he's us. My friend. He's a good man. And his brother. He's okay. Mm-hmm. He's all right. Yes. You know, not every you know, not every family can produce excellent twins. One's going to suffer, you know. <laughs> Why don't you join us for a conversation? We're going to punt it back over to Reed and Nathan. Uh, this has been another installment of Good Day Melbourne with a dash of yes. Russian for good measure. Good. God. Good day, Moscow. What? Oh my God! No, no, no! Not here. No. <laughs> Goodbye, <laughs> Moscow. You are not welcome. <laughs> Stay out of our podcast. Stay um, out of our elections. What? You know, there are what? two sets of twins in my family. At least two that I know. My mom's. A I twin. know those. Uh, yeah, I know. I yeah. know you for twenty years. I've known you for twenty years. I know who these twins are. They are. Alan and Wayne, shout out. Yeah. And Ma and Ma's sis. (laughs) Ma's sis. (laughs) I don't know her name. (laughs) Yes. uh, My my cousins, Alan and Wayne, and my mom and sister. Your cousins. They are mine. Not your wife's cousins. We've talked about my wife's cousins on this show. Now these are mine. No. These are mine. Talked about your wife's cousin. Cousin and her. What? Yes. Where did the Russian come from? Well, because, okay, Where so listen. Where did he come from? Listen, no. we have never quite referenced it yet on this show. Well, and he only does it in the second season. But when he goes to that. He, Kevin. 
He Kevin. When Kevin. Kevin when Kevin sort of transports to that you other place. Go all the way. Kevin? Kevin. Oh yeah, the return of old Patty Levin in this episode. But um when Kev- Kevin uh goes to the hotel world, which the hotel doesn't show up in this episode, but when he goes to that world, um they have that very like it just reminds me of like a Russian drama. The like that That's fine that, that reminds you of that, you but know, our like, entire listener base and your co-host were utterly thrown by the joining of Ivan from Lost Season 3 to the episode. <laughs> Just take the harpoon in the chest, Ivan. Get back up somewhere else. <laughs> you know, we'll see you later at the electric fence. I love how you're like, wait, our entire <laughs> listener base... <laughs> I just don't want to be alone here. You know? All of them. I don't want to be the only one that's confused just, here. We're just stunned. Like, Most of them it? have skipped this segment anyway because they're not watching Leftovers, one of the greatest <laughs> shows of the last decade, Ian Olsen. Um, wow. That's antagonistic. Um, so, so yes. I, I say it with love. With the, love. The most From powerful. From Russia with love. <laughs> oh, that's a good callback. Um, so... Uh, the most powerful man in the world and his identical twin brother. So you referenced last week the uh, the call out that God slash David Burton made of the fact that Jesus had an identical twin brother. And um, this episode, as every episode this season is, is just wild as the day is long. Um, to be honest with you, okay, so I didn't take a ton of notes. I have a strong memory of this episode because um, obviously I you know, just watched it, but I didn't take a ton of notes. And I feel like the reason for that is that there is, I literally took one note and, and I have a lot to say, but uh, I'm going to yield to you to just sort of rattle down through the things that you, that you've got. But um, my one singular note is, of course, I took mention of the fact that towards the end of the episode, Kevin and his father are sitting atop a roof contemplating an apocalypse that has not taken place and what's what's going to happen from this point on uh much like the first episode of the season sort of pushed us into the millerite disappointment and and the way that they would climb atop their roofs waiting for the rapture and it would never come and um and so well and and you you bring up there that uh, at least at the time of this episode's airing uh, circa these latter episodes, I remember hearing in interviews or reading in interviews them talking about them, Landeloff, talking about a driving question of the season was what happens if Apocalypse does not come? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, which which is, I would say, a shade, a, a dial turn different than the question we were posing last week in terms of it will continue to come. So, you know, I'm not trying to refute or negate that idea, but in the context of what the universe of this show expects, yeah, it is an unmet expectation, right. uh, most right. practically experienced by Kevin senior. Um, mm, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I mean, I've got, uh, a ton of notes, but it's a lot of it is mainly just kind of, just re- weird peek inside my brain these days. Some <laughs> of these TV episodes I've watched a little ways out from recording and I'm like, oh, I don't want to forget. And I don't know that I'm going to have time to rewatch. So I'll just take like content notes, you know, what actually happens. Right. right. Um, but uh, you, you invoked her already. 
This episode features the only appearance in season three of Ann Dowd as Patty Levin, and what a welcome sight uh, <laughs> she is. I mean, Reed, how this it's international assassin is one thing, and it is a very specific, very audacious, very bold storytelling choice of a thing. This what? <laughs> like, how do you even? My wife, occasionally, here's a random aside. My wife has been watching Lovecraft Country with me, and it's awesome. Oh, My wife that's does great. Not, that's great. Yes, wonderful. This year, she watched Invisible Man with me, which is stressful and is a great horror flick. That's a wonderful And film. she's been watching yeah. Lovecraft Country with me. She's been a very good companion in that. And it's so funny watching her experience what is pretty conventional, which is a positive horror elements play out in a tv setting or you're just in a visual setting and right, of course she'll occasionally this her refrain sometimes when she watches genre material with me is like who thinks of this and <laughs> just you know if you've just never read it or and don't swim around in those worlds that's a legitimate question i watch an episode of leftovers like this i'm like how did you do this how do you think of this it is so right of course gonzo wild of a premise because it's not solely just returning to as you mentioned, the hotel side, it's that, it's right, that right, dimension, right, right. but it's an entirely new paradigm. Um, mm, mm-hmm. uh, so, so anyway, just mainly the, the notating or taking note of the gonzo kind of aspect of it. Did you catch, I don't have this written down, but I want to make sure I bring it up because it feels important. Do you remember when, cause it's this episode where senior has to, submerge junior yes yeah you have to hold me down i think that scene is a specific and deliberate reference to abraham and isaac Mm. and more specifically to what felt like a throwaway moment in episode two or three in crazy whitefellow thinking i think of Mm. matt on the Mm. phone with kevin senior and Matt yeah. is unpacking the story of Abraham and Isaac. And do you remember this? He says he was an adult. And Kevin Sr. says, no, no, no. When he tried to kill him, he was like, right. He was an adult. Right. And Kevin, yeah, do you remember what he 36 says? 36 or 37. Yeah. No. Sr. says, well, that doesn't make any effing sense. Wow. And oh I love gosh. that wow. scene so much because it reminds me of a story from college of sharing with a peer of ours, a mutual peer of ours. Uh, the discovery for me at the time of Paul's conversion not happening literally on the road. Like his name change doesn't happen on the road. It happens later in the text. Right. Exactly. And, right. 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 And that person dismissing that information as not oh. what they were taught. And this is a random insertion here, but it reminds me of that. This notion when we're confronted with authoritative information mm-hmm. and saying, well, that's that can't be right. You know, it's Kevin mm. Senior being told, well, Isaac was an adult, and him saying that makes no sense. And then <laughs> right. five episodes later, submerging his son with the intent of drowning. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot to, I think, appreciate about this episode. Uh, uh, Liv Tyler shows back up in a really great cameo, um, not just, I guess, sort of as a sideways Meg, but also... I laughed out loud at her I'm in love sequence. <laughs> With God. Yeah. And, and 
and Bill Camp using his natural voice <laughs> saying, "Tell her I love her too." Yeah. I laughed out loud. It is hysterical. Well, because and I messed I messed up the line earlier because she says I'm in love, mm-hmm. and then the line that she says is, "His name is God." <laughs> yeah. Well, she, I'm so in love funny. with the most wonderful man in the entire world. And Kevin says, who? And she goes, his name is God. And Bill Camp in <laughs> Kevin's ear. Tell her I love her, too. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, oh, my well, talk so to funny. me then. You, you don't have notes. Like, what? what is your kind of visceral, emotional response to this episode? So, I feel like... The intellectual part of me is interested in whether or not this is all taking place in Kevin's head, or if it is some version of a dream state slash purgatorial region. Um, and I think there's a decent, as is par for the course with Lindelof material, there's decent support in the episode for both. You know, if if he really gets a a, a phone call with Christopher Sunday, the Prime Minister of Australia. And couldn't possibly have known what Christopher Sunday looks like. That would indicate that maybe this is real. Um, that having been said, if it is real, then how in the world are all the precise people that he was trying to meet from all these different walks of life in his little nexus as he's you know journeying around through all this stuff? Not to mention the fact that when he's asked to name his Secretary of Defense, I do get the impression, and I'd be curious to know if you feel differently, I do get the impression that whatever name he said at that point was going to be his Secretary of Defense. Like, whoever he named, that was going to be who was going to wind up being his Secretary of Defense. And it just happened to be that he named Patty Levin. Because she confronts him later and says, you know, like, you called me out of retirement. You, mm-hmm. you know, you asked to, were Kieran. asked to name somebody. And you named me and called me out of retirement. Um, and uh, And so, where I'm leading with all of that is... The intellectual part of me is is trying to ascertain, okay, is this meant to be a real occurrence? Is this meant to be like Kevin's dream state or whatever? But I think it all melts away in the powerful confrontation of self, literally and metaphorically, mm-hmm. between the most powerful man in the world and his identical twin brother. Because when the pair of them are looking at each other and he's reading that segment yeah. of this of this book Untitled romance book oh my gosh and just all he knew how to do was run oh my goodness and when they're both weeping the return mm-hmm. of the snot they're both weeping and, and god and, only knows what I'll oh be without gosh you. but i i think and and what's so haunting about that moment is that like i remember i was thinking and it was not striking me on an intellectual level it was striking me on an emotional level of like wow He's experiencing both of in this weird mm-hmm. world. This period, he's experiencing yeah. both of these things. Yep. He's experiencing the process of having to make the decision and carry out the transaction to end his his life, and in a in a in a rather violent manner, and then simultaneously yielding to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's and and somehow strangely, it's not suicide, which that would be grisly and would be you know, sort of vicious and 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 uh, uncomfortable to think at, but that's not the tone or the direction of this. It's very much a sort of confronting yourself and coming to grips with leaving things behind and letting things go, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's that's the impulse that the identical twin brother says. He's like, you know, uh, um, go ahead and cut this thing out of me so that we will never come back to this place. 
And um, it's it's incredibly powerful. It's an incredibly powerful episode. And um, and honestly, I feel like you could probably do a scene by scene analysis on all of the implications of everything that's been delivered in this episode in even just the subtlest moments of dialogue. I do love you reference the moment when Kevin Harvey, <laughs> his three questions. The last one is the name of your security of defense. Mm-hmm. He says, petty living and this huge fanfare musical cue. That's happens. Yeah, that's I love it. Yes, I loved it because that's how my heart felt when I heard her name. <laughs> Um, it's such a gonzo episode it's uh, to kind of parse it it feels like it does a disservice to what actually takes place but um i do feel like there's this interesting refrain that happens of of what do you want and it's funny i think Again, recognizing that sometimes I struggle with holding the mirror up to my own self. I think that's a question we have a hard time, A, answering, and B, feeling like we're allowed to answer, honestly. Mm. Um, I remember a couple years ago uh, on a work trip and a colleague that I actually was good friends with and we were, you know, it was a work trip and so we were all staying in kind of hotel rooms together. And, and so he and I shared a room and we were chatting into the night about some relationship stuff that was going on with him and, and some struggles he was having with determining direction. And I just said, I was like, well, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was like, he'd never been asked that or had wow. never really posed that to himself. And, and, and I don't know that it achieved any, transcendent revelation for him but for any of us that question is so important right and i think right. i think as we you and i explore the context and and implications of cognizance of place the question what do you want matters because if we're informed by christ externally christ image internally what do you want is not as scary a question as we've sort of been suggested it might be. Right, right. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, I understand. Um, didn't mean to dive super deep there, but other than just to say it's a really fascinating, because as you sort of assess the exercise of this episode, like mm-hmm. Crazy White Fella thinking, why am I being asked to watch this? <laughs> this episode invites the same kind of question. It's just a bit more jaunty and you know entertaining. Yeah. But it's, yes. okay, why am I? More why propulsive we, for sure. Yeah, why are we embarking on this journey? And it's Patty to Kevin. She says, I'm here to help you. You helped me. I'm here to help you. What do you right, want? Right. You keep saying you want to go home and then keep coming here. I'm sensing a lot of mm-hmm. internal contradictions with you, Kevin. <laughs> Some things you need to work out with yourself. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You need to find the And Down Found fan club. What? And oh, yeah, yeah. You need to and find down, the And Down Found club. <laughs> The Andowd fan club. I don't know why I'm having trouble speaking. I'm going to start to, the Andowd fan fan club. You know what? I'm sh- I'm sure you would be a and phenomenal we'll president. Award each other in Kevin merit badges. <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> you, Kevin, that that skill learned gets you three Kevins. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you got for the most powerful man in the world and his identical twin brother? 
No, I mean, uh, again, like, you know, the substance of the episode is is rooted in sort of character, uh, Kevin's own sort of confrontation of character with himself and with the people around him. You know, like, uh, one thing that deserves to be mentioned as we're on our way out of this episode is um, when he says, you know, we messed up with Nora. He uses a different word, but, you know, when he tells himself, we messed up with Nora. And, um, and, and again, it's, it's a moment of confronting yourself and confronting your own presumptions and confronting your own intentions. Um, and, uh, you know, culminating, albeit in a purgatorial kind of construct, the, the moment when all of the missiles like come in mm-hmm. is just a haunting and powerful, yeah. powerful moment. So yeah, great episode. Well, and this, um, this word just came to me and honestly is less apropos to this episode, but I did think about it for certified last week though. You could say on a certain level, this episode does apply. Like this is just a lovely series. Mm. There's just something lovely about mm-hmm. what they are dancing with right. on a, right. On a fundamental philosophical level mm-hmm. that I find very compelling. Um, yeah, I'd agree. I also think it's hysterical watching Patty try to put her glasses back together after he <laughs> crushes them to, to read the untitled romance book. That is pretty funny. That has been another installment of this series of TV guideposts. You stay away, Ivan. You stay in the corner there. And, uh, Eat them you know, like cake. Oh my God. You're helpless. Like trying to do some work here. What, you'll you, push uh, girl down well? You won't invite you, Russian to no, dinner? No, we'll, I'll, I'll invite you to dinner, but I didn't. So, you know, stay out of the picture. We just come uh, in when we want to. We just do what we want. It's excellent seeing you do do that. So, back <laughs> off, mate. Uh, you said do-do. You do-do. Uh, poop club. Uh, you, you, he, you know, you poop, pooped on him, Kevin. Uh, you know, 16 years of marriage. Never asked me to poop on him. <laughs> Uh, it's all your fault Ivan and uh, that's been another installment of Leftovers uh, TV Guidepost the penultimate installment we will not be returning to this little voiceover next week so say say farewell to uh, the Australian and his identical Russian brother (laughs) and uh, you know hopefully the nukes don't fall in the meantime it is time to move on to the children of men I have no idea what music I'll use underneath that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so, uh, yes, thank you, listeners and co-host. Forgive me for that, you know, audacious ridiculousness. Um, so. Let me start. You, please. Yes, by all means. Because I'm actually worried I'll, I won't have as much to say about this as what I feel, and I won't have to know how to put what I feel into words, so it could be mm. a short combo on my end, but it could also not be. Um, last week, I made a really fumbly attempt to identify, like, hey, if I had a top 10 or most loved films, you know, trying to sort Apocalypto into a bucket. <laughs> um, and I failed miserably, but at this point, in my 40, almost 41 years, children of men, if not at, is likely circling the top of my favorite films ever. Mm. Um, mm. I've, it, it, it has never, 
it, it's it's always in contention, at least in terms of tops, with something like a Moulin Rouge. Um, uh, I, it's been a long time since I've seen Eternal Sunshine, so I don't know that I put it in top five, but I would put it in top ten. But that's a great film. Uh, yeah. Moulin Rouge, Children of Men, the initial Lord of the Rings trilogy, all of those would qualify for top, and 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 so you being the dear heart and good friend you are six weeks ago in crafting what would be this run of apocalypse films were like, what about children of men? I was like, Riri, don't, <laughs> don't, don't you do tease this. me. Don't, don't tease me. You do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you were like, wait a minute. Was it on shutter? There's, there's some, you found some categorizing list. Lackey the listicle discovered a list that <laughs> positioned children of men <laughs> <laughs> that positioned children of men like horror adjacent. I don't remember exactly what you found. Yes. But I, I, I recall this, although I don't remember where I found this. I think there was a it would have been like in one of those publications like Vulture or The Independent sure. or something, doing a list of like, you know, hey, apocalypse films and and sure. children of men would have been on it. And, and so it validated in your mind choosing it mm-hmm. and you texted me, you're like, what about children of men? I'm like, oh my God, what? Let's do it. I mean, how, can we figure out how to make Moulin Rouge horror, Jace? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> here we are. And I, I will not every year. This is a Christmas movie to me. I will mm-hmm. watch it, mm-hmm. you know, every couple years in the mix of my Christmas intake. Right. Right. Um, the component parts are there. Mm. Uh, and I think it's, it's so funny because I never have conversations about this movie, but it has always nestled in this little place in my spirit and heart as I've never read the book. Uh, okay. But as a profound, and deep and meaningful piece of hope filled work. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you didn't issue the challenge, but stated your lack of note taking. And I mm. abided to a certain degree. Um, there were a few tiny moments. I was like, okay, I really got to remember that one. Um, mm, sure. But Yeah. So, Children of Men, I did see it in the theater. I remember distinctly seeing it in one of the worst positions possible in a movie theater, which is down front. Oh, like the front row? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Not literally the front, but yeah, down front. Uh, enough front that your like, head is mm-hmm. head is couched to the to the seat back. And, and Where you're staring when you leave. And, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. and, and, but the person I went to see it with was a theater peer, and, and we just talked for a solid hour about kind of how it moved and affected us. Um, wow. Yeah. And it's just kind of stayed one of those that's in the kind of splinter in the spirit type of films. Uh, so yeah, I'm as sort of tentative to have a conversation about it as I am upfront apologetic that it might just be a lot of quiet <laughs> because I think it's, I think it's sacramental, um, mm-hmm. in what it is kind of after. Uh, it's not easily distilled into a simple kind of nugget. The the narrative is kind of straightforward, but the Mm -hmm. heartbeat of it is very 
otherworldly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm just kind of running off at the mouth, but more or less talking about the experience of you talking about. Let's talk about this. Talk about. Talk about. Talk about. I. Music. Mm-hmm. I was house sitting. And I was house sitting for some some friends that were still kind of um, cursory friends, but we're not as um, close and, and in regular contact as we were in the days when this crossover would have happened. But I was house sitting and you called me when you got out of the theater. I, really? I, know, I know you were with a friend. And that's really funny. When you parted ways with them, you called me and I was uh, again, I, I remember it. It is alarmingly distinct why this why this movie stands out this way i don't know why this is the way it is but i remember house sitting in that place and i can see myself i'm sitting in their living room there are three dogs that which is the reason that i was house sitting for them is because they had a lot of pets and there were three dogs there and i was sitting down there and i was actually at the moment kind of contemplating what what am i going to watch and because i was house sitting i couldn't really I, I felt irresponsible, like leaving to go to the theater. So sure. it was more like, what could I rent or what could I put on or whatever? But you called me because you had just got out of the theater of Children of Men. And I remember this was back in like the five star days, but you said, if I could give it six stars, I absolutely would. You need to see this film. Like you need to go see it mm-hmm. as soon as you possibly could. Um, I never got the chance to see it in the theater, which I deeply regret, but that stayed with me, your high recommendation, because it is somewhat rare for you to champion a film. You'll love it, mm. and when I ask you how you feel about it, you will oftentimes like praise something that you've been really inspired by or that affected you very deeply, or you might say, like, man, I love it. But it is really rare, in my experience, for you to go out of your way to say, you, read need to see. In the life of this show, I think the only time that it has happened in the life of this show is A Quiet Place, when you... Mm texted me and said like quiet right. place like done we need to do this and that was from inside the theater yes exactly um so I so i know yeah pour a cold one Continue. out so um but yeah it's it, it stayed with me probably cool. because of the rarity of it and i remember that that from moment one you just really loved this movie but then it hit my radar um and so i paid attention and when i got the chance to see it i saw it and while at the moment, I remember from first viewing, I loved it. I thought powerful film, wonderful film. I don't think I had the what I would deem almost spiritual experience that you did mm-hmm. with it, maybe largely because of yeah. you okay. having seen it in the theater and, and, and uh, you know how much it had been sort of built up in my imagination. But um, as time has gone on, this is um, like definitively uh, a pretty – I realign my films every year just because I'm a nerd and do. do that. Yeah. Um, and if, I never align my films <laughs> unless it's this one. <laughs> if this is not in my top 10, it's like top 15. It's always landed like near that. Like this is a favorite, favorite film of me, of mine. When I sat down to prepare for this conversation, I had my laptop and that's where I take my notes and uh, the the film is playing, and there were like three or four times into it that I started to pause it to go and write a note. And I remember that this weird experience happening where I would sit there and start to pause it to go write a note, and I'd be like, "I'll I'll wait, I'll remember, I'll watch this note." And then like after like the third time that happened, I was just like, "Screw it, I'm just this film's just gonna wash over me. I'm just gonna let it sit and 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 just do what it does with me." I made it 
um, uh, our, our listener, Dave Courtney might appreciate this. Um, I, I made it part of a trilogy that I had done for Holy Week one, one year where the first film I watched on Good Friday was Calvary. The Saturday film I watched was Martin Scorsese's Silence. And then I watched Children of Men for Resurrection Sunday. Hmm. And, um, and, and it is a, it is a, it is a deeply affecting film in a number of ways. And, uh, you know, my no notes wasn't out of any sort of specific, Hey, let's have this kind of conversation about it. I just, I just couldn't take any, I just couldn't, I was just sitting there watching it. And I don't know, even now in this moment, how much is going to come back into my recollection. I've got one very specific thing that kind of always comes up in my mind when I think about this film, but, um, it really is, it has, it has become to me of particular kind of spiritual resonance. And we are essentially a podcast about horror and faith and that intersection, as it were. And somebody might fairly ask, hey, why, why children of men? And we've done horror adjacent films before that aren't necessarily technically classified as horror. But, um, but children of men is the kind of thing where when you look at the bleakness at, mm-hmm. at this film's beginning, and you look at how devastating it is. Now, I just mentioned only in passing, I have read the novel. Uh, P.D. James is right. the author. She is a- After um, the book? or I mean, after the, you saw the film or previously? After I saw the film. I saw the yeah. film first, then I read the novel. The novel's very different in a number of ways. Sure. Um, has a similar resonance in a lot of ways. Um, I actually read in, in a bit of trivial bit digging that Alfonso Cuaron um, presumably did not read the novel- but instead adapted his because he helped write the screenplay, but it was after it had been it was like the third or fourth draft of an adaptation. Sure. So presumably mm-hmm. the first writers had obviously read the novel and, and structured some things. And then by the time it got into Quaron's hands, he just sort of continued to craft his own vision and did not go back and reread the novel. But I believe I did read that P.D. James, the original author, not only does she make a brief appearance in the film as like a cameo just in one of the crowd scenes. Um, but she was very fond of the film that she she even though it diverted a lot from her text, she thought it was a really, really powerful and affecting film and gave it her sort of praiseworthy endorsement. Um, but it, there are so many moments in this movie. Uh, I was talking about its horror adjacency and um, that opening shot. He's getting coffee. Mm hmm. And hearing about the death of, of baby Rodrigo, baby Diego, Diego, Diego. and um, he um, he's getting coffee. And then as he steps out and I thought like just this casual moment of getting coffee and then that bomb just explodes, obliterates the coffee shop. And I thought that's that's the horror we're in is I'm not trying to be too dramatic, too fast, but I'm like, that's the horror that we're facing is devastation amidst casual, common everyday occurrences and because in the world of this film for anybody who has never seen children of men the the premise is very very simple and direct a the world has come to a place to where women have stopped being able to have babies um an explanation for the abnormality is um not really concretely given uh in the book and it yeah and it doesn't really matter um but uh, th- so they've stopped being able to have children. And so the youngest person in the world is 18 years old. And in the very first moments of the film, that person has died in a skirmish, a bar skirmish. And this man. And so there's political unrest, there's social unrest. 
I had forgotten so much of the whole like as they're, they're making their way through their streets mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. There's like these things about. Did you see the things about like? Well, there's yeah, there's what? there's vagrants, but did you see the signs where it's like, you know, de- refusing your fertility test is a crime, you know, yeah, or not, you know. Uh, th- so there's there's so many like it's eerie. How did you interpret that? Um, that that basically like you have to take fertility tests. That that's basically like the government is saying, hey, we're in a an extinction level crisis. Right, right, right. And it, and it is not allowable for women of certain age to not see if you're able to yeah. to bear children. Well, I didn't say vagrant a minute ago. I said immigrant. I thought you were going immigrant. down oh, that sorry. road. Yes. That had a staggering and unexpected oh, resonance this time around. Uh, yes. The political context of the film is it takes place in England mm-hmm. and they have closed the borders and are violently and actively uh kicking out immigrants and the last time i saw this was pre-2016 um so i would not have thought about that particular sort of context right in the way that i do i mean honestly i watched this and i was like other than the heightened quote-unquote sci-fi aspect this is not very far from the world we live in yeah Um, and that was a really sort of tough thing um you know, I, I, I've got a quote or two worth talking about at some point, but on a technical level, uh, for me, this was my, to my recollection, first real appreciation for an exposure to Clive Owen. Um, okay. Uh, this was my, I think, because did, I don't know that I would have attached Quaron's name to, um, what is the Potter that he does? Oh, Prisoner of Azkaban. He did Prisoner of Azkaban. Prisoner of Azkaban. Right. Yep. And I think that takes place before this. That was released before this. But um, Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah. That but Children of Men is what really put him on my map, on my radar of like, okay, mm-hmm. this is special mm-hmm. and this is meaningful, and this is someone who's after something special and meaningful. Um, on a technical level, the tracking shots in this introduced me to the world of tracking shots and are amazing. Um mm-hmm. the the single take of the car ride is, oh my gosh, staggering. Both it's of them, unbelievable. Yeah the the single take where like the car comes down, the burning car, and then they go away, and that that you know sort of culminates in Julian's death, and then the second one, which is probably the one you were referring to, where they escape the the oh. compound. Well, I was referring mainly to the approach to the compound. Yes, where they oh. get where Julian dies, but oh, the, oh, gotcha. the escape. <laughs> The amount of unorthodox choice making that happens in the narrative of this film is part of what helps it raise itself above. But the escape is in a car that won't start. That's being manually pushed by a man with no shoes. Yes. Yes. And it is one of the most stressful things. It really is. No, it really is. (laughs) And it's amazing. The other tracking shot that, you know, we can, forego a little bit in terms of the content of is the through the building tracking shot towards the end it's the so infiltration of to find key and the uh extraction of her what are you gonna say well you brought that moment up i i know this is a bold statement but i was i was trying to think through it 
I cannot think of a film in the last 20 years, maybe in the last 30, uh, I cannot think of a scene more affecting, moving, inspiring, gripping um, on, a, on a deep, deep level than war-torn building, shots firing all around, and it stops. Yes. It absolutely yes. stops yes. as Theo and Key are escorting the baby and the, 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 the reverence and the mm-hmm. awe of these armed- I mean, that woman in the top floor oh. singing hymns while she's oh. bloodied and on her knees or, you know. Yes, yeah. And, and then them traversing through the building and the soldiers. I mean, it is- It is- move, Moving and powerful and devastating and- It's incredible. And as soon as they, and as soon as they get free, as soon as they get out of it, it all resumes behind them. Yep. But as they made their way through, everybody stopped. I mean, the the fighting stopped, and they're all. And I love, oh my god, there's so much to that moment because I love that they're all looking at it mm-hmm. because they haven't seen a baby in two decades, and so so they're all just like leaning in and looking at it, and it's just it's so affecting. It's so well, and I love like there's so much, there's so many pieces of the puzzle that are worth picking apart, but in that sequence specifically, oh, another thing, this film reaffirmed because it would have come after another film, but is my affection for Chiwetel, who I just love as a performer. Mm, He's mm. excellent. But this is after Serenity, which you and I saw together. No, um, we did. Yeah. And he's great in that. That was when I first discovered him. Um but I'm not even going to really explain the premise here. Go watch the movie. It's that good and worth your time unquestionably. <laughs> so what this baby signals to this uh, I guess you'd call the fishes a terrorist cell, sort of, you know, kind of freedom fighters, if you will. But yeah. what the baby represents is is a form of power, is a form yeah, of, yes. you know, controlling the paradigm. Mm-hmm. And I love, 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 love. <laughs> One, Chuatel's death scene when he talks about holding the baby Mm. and he says, I forgot what they looked like. They're so beautiful. And then he uses the male pronoun for the baby. We need him. Right. Mm -hmm. And Theo says, it's a girl. Mm. And Mm. just that, that equal parts, beauty and devastation. Chiwetel's character undergoes is like, it's a girl. Yeah. It's the staggering revelation to him that he never considered because yeah. in any world for better or worse, masculinity invokes power. And so you've taken yes. the thing they intended as a token of power and subverted it even further by yes. removing that identifier from it. And it's just incredibly mm-hmm. subversive and incredibly powerful. Um, We're bouncing around here, but well, let me, Payne, let me, what? Oh my gosh. I'm going to get to Michael Caine. Yeah. Um, so, but, um, I'm just for talking, the, so yeah, jump in. Yeah. So for the sake of people who have absolutely no context for the film, we already set up that. And like Nathan said, we're not going to unpack every single piece. I would this, never but, say this on an episode. Stop what you're doing. Stop listening to this and go watch this movie. Yes. It, it deserves your attention. We can even forego the recommendation piece of it. Yes. We recommend this film. Please, please go see it. Uh, check it out. Watch it, please. It's worth it. 
Um, but uh, the uh, yeah, so uh, women can't have children, and then uh, a woman, specifically, you referenced earlier the immigrants. Yep, she's a refugee. She's an immigrant refugee, and she has grown pregnant. Right, and it is fascinating to me because she even plays with the little joke earlier, you know, with him where he's like, who's the father? And she's like, I'm a virgin. And he's like taken aback for a second. And she's like, no, no, no. And it's that. And then she's like, I don't even know. I don't even know who it was, you know? Um, And there was such a, such an affecting thing to me of like this notion of introducing a miracle. So, so one thing that's lost, I'm not going to pivot all of this into like spiritual conversation because I have more to say about the film, but like, one of the things that I think is truly lost on a lot of modern Christian thought, uh, maybe not from like theologians and scholars, but from lay people, sure, is that when Jesus came from Nazareth and that line that is in Scripture where it says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like this whole right. like a, 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 a denigration of sorts of like, really? Like from there? Are you are you sure? Right. And and that struck so much. I don't know Quaron's sure. spiritual resonance. I don't know, and I didn't look it up, so I'm not going to make a lot of pretense. But um, but that struck me so much. Really, like a refugee, and like she doesn't even know the dad. Not because you know there's a potential for immaculate conception or something, but because she has been Slept intimate around. with so yeah. many people, so she doesn't know the dad. And that's you know that that's to whom this profound miracle is given and i'm just like that is one of the things that i see f- from for myself i see a drumbeat of so many times over in scripture is like the obvious thing to your earlier point about like chuatel's thing like oh well naturally it's going to be a boy because this is right. this is a powerful right. moment naturally it's right. going to be a boy and it's like it is in my construct i'm just going to speak from my theological construct it is so like the Lord to just be like, mm, yeah, that place where you're not looking, that place where you're like not paying attention to, that place that you right. think is like off in the corner, worthless, forgotten, written off. That's where I'm going to plant the seed of miraculous future, and it's going to just completely and think about sweep this, over Reed. everything. Like this is this is swooping in on me like a like a, I don't know what. There's so many parallels you can draw here. They were banishing all of the refugees from their presence. And the world had stopped having children. Mm -hmm. And the one place it was going to come, they were kicking out of their midst. Absolutely. Right. Actively, violently, intentionally, systematically. And yeah, absolutely. If there's not a lesson there, I don't know where you can find one. Um, mm. But you know, there's so many kind of layers to this, and and there was God. I don't even. I didn't even write the scene down. There was one moment where just the weight of kind of because the the film does such a good job of. Um, maybe you. I don't think you would disagree with this. I actually don't think the 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 world of the film is bleak Mm -hmm. wretchedly so but the the film is not at all and i think right 
there are moments, there are moments where the heaviness really affected me. Like, like mm. you, you kind of have those shuddery sort of half weepy, half just like, Oh my God, this is so hard. This is the world we live in kind of feelings. Um, did you catch, this is a really specific technical note. Did you catch that despite the harrowing environment that Theo has to move through in the latter part of the film to retrieve key one, he never picks up an arm. Oh, like a, he like a never weapon, a, gun a firearm, a weapon of any yeah. sort. The most violent register, he gets but... is he uses the battery on Sid. Yes. Uh, when checking out the door, but he never actually picks up a firearm of any sort. Another note. And I, I will not claim inspiration for this observation. In fact, it's the friend I saw it with 15 years ago because a fascinating sort of element that that's occurring in this film is the, the young, the black, the refugee is carrying the hope of the world's future in this film in a very literal way. The dominant Sorry, but it's there. White male is the one learning from her, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. that male character has sort of deadened himself. He was 20 years previous an activist, a passionate activist. One of the most beautiful and amazing bits of dialogue in the film is him overhearing Michael Caine talking about the mythical force of uh, faith versus chance, the cosmic battle between faith versus chance. I have but, a ton to so, say about that, yes. so we'll come back so to that. So the whole film is sort of his it's it's theo's re reimagining of himself as valuable to the world in a, in a real you know kind of didactic way but he has two vices which are uh cigarettes and alcohol yes yeah and before the film is over he trades his cigarettes to marika for a lantern mm. yes and he uses the alcohol to wash his hands to clean himself to be able to deliver this baby and you never yes. see him use either of those things again. And it's just a really, really, truly amazing touch that again, I did not, I will not claim up, uh, in, you know, that I saw it other than someone pointed it out to me, but just once you see it, it's kind of hard to ignore. Yeah. What? Right. <sighs> you mentioned earlier and I cut you off Michael Caine. Um, he's amazing. so, he do. is he is wonderful. I, I have read before that he patterned this particular performance after John Lennon. Um but yeah. he um he has that moment. He is a, a, a friend to Theo. I don't know if he's a distant relative or not, but I but at the very least a very close trusted friend, a beloved friend. Um and he um becomes a, a, a haven for Theo after, you know, it, it is revealed that Key is pregnant. So then basically Theo Miriam, who is the the uh, midwife. midwife who is expected to help deliver Key's baby. Um, so they are all on the run. Key and the midwife and Theo are all on the run. And the place that they land is uh, with Jasper, who's the character that Michael Caine plays. And um, that that statement that you mentioned earlier. Like if if this were a more structured conversation and I'm not sad that it isn't, but if this were a more like sort of layered conversation, what I would produce definitively as my substantive theme is that whole story that he tells and the brilliance of the filmmaking that such an important story is shown 
I don't know if you noticed this. This was this was probably my sixth or seventh time seeing the film, and this was the first time I noticed this, or at least the first time it registered, that the film, with only 30 seconds of exception, the film is entirely from Theo's perspective. Entirely. Sure. So if Theo is not close to the moment, we are not close to the moment. Right, the right. only exception to that is after Theo and Miriam leave when the, the fishes are kind of breaking into Jasper's home. Uh, we do see a very brief moment inside Jasper's house after they're gone where you see the goodbye Ruby Tuesday moment mm, where, yeah, where yeah, yeah. he's, oh he's going to make that decision, which is <laughs> devastating. But that's the only moment in the entire film. And, and, and so getting back to that moment where he's talking about it, it's shown Jasper's telling Miriam the story from out of focus far away. And Theo's in focus listening to it, pouring himself a drink and listening. And that whole conversation about faith and chance. Nathan, seen this film half a dozen times, but the first time, like, almost leaped off my couch and spoke out to an empty room, as I am prone to do. Um, but when he's talking about faith and chance... It struck me so hard that he was not talking about fate and chance, that he's not talking about destiny versus chance. He's talking about faith, belief, and and one version, which is frequently the argument of, oh, is it all destined? Is it all set? You know, we talked a little bit about this, you know, not substantively, but, you know, that's that's uh, kind of in the the narrative of the Terminator. Is it all predestined? Is it all predetermined? Or is there some sort of dice roll that's taking place? But what I loved so much and what affected me so much about that monologue this time is telling that story about how, you know, and I'm going to recount major beats from that story, but Jasper is telling Miriam about how Theo and Julian, who were married at one point, that Theo and Julian met by chance, but they were in the same place because of their faith. Like That's what they believed great. in brought them there and then they met by chance and then their faith kept them together in their relationship. But by chance, their son was born and, it, and, and that chance became their faith put in praxis. Yeah. Praxis. Praxis. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so then he talks about, you know, then chance sort of claimed Dylan's life a, in that flu, in that flu pandemic. pandemic right. And so there's this whole interplay between faith and chance and the ways in which our faith positions us or positioned them in a place where certain degrees of chance would kind of dance and interplay with it. And I just loved. Well, and correct the, me if I'm wrong. Doesn't he say um, Theo's faith lost out lost to chance out to chance? Yes. And I, and you know what? Something that's so powerful to me about that is like. There's not even any condemnation. No. It's just, it happened, and yeah. and he's been suffering. And, yeah. and what a beautiful story to tell when this person whose faith lost out to chance is able to put into praxis once more faith in a better tomorrow, to put a mm. really fine punctuation mark on it. It's deliberate. <laughs> and. Yeah. While we're aiming there, I think for me, as I sort of ponder this in the morning and knowing, yeah, we'll get to leftovers next week. And that's kind of the, a major button on the broader conversation. But 
I want to honor your suggestion and our choice to cover this film. And as I think through what of, of how do you put one foot in front of the next, how do you without condemnation, forgive the past self who, whose faith lost out to chance. Mm. And I think key tells us, and she's talking about in the context of the film, if you aren't going to watch it or never seen it, there's a thing called quietus. It's a product that the world has invented a pharmaceutical product that is a suicide aid. Yeah. And it's what Jasper administers to his kind of invalid wife, uh, before the people get there to take his own. Um, and key says, I thought about that quietest thing. It's supposed to be suave, which is her word for cool. It's Mm. pretty music and all that. And then the baby kicked. Mm. I, I feel it. Little bastard was alive and I feel it. And me too. I am alive. And man, I rewound that like three times just to Mm. let it wash over because I don't want to make the tail end of this conversation a theme about idolatry of children that I think, especially in evangelical circles, we can succumb to with quick and relative ease. Um, but what came to my mind was the, and, and comes to my mind often as I ponder the state of the world, is the Arcade Fire song, City With No Children. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like I'm living in a city with no children in it, which is a very powerful song. And I encourage anyone to listen to, but, but as we discussed last week with Apocalypto, apocalypses will come and they'll continue to come. And then you seek a new beginning. And in the world of children of men, I think a lot of ways in the world of us, we've kind of given up mm. and decided faith is not worth holding on to if chance is just going to attempt to squash it and actually squash it. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most powerful codas and bits of end to any film is not just that having completed his mission of shepherding key and now baby Dylan to rescue. And then he succumbs to a wound in death and that metaphorically and literally the ship called tomorrow arrives to rescue them. Mm-hmm. It's that the film literally ends with the title card and the sound of children's laughter. Yes. Oh and it's gosh. one of the most beautiful, so beautiful things. Yeah. And I don't want it to stay there because, and that's where I'm heading is like, I, I, and I would encourage you in the, we and listeners in the us, Jesus tells us if we can't engage this world in childlikeness, <laughs> we're already there. We're already done. Yeah. And, and you, you, you kind of bowled me over a couple of weeks ago and I'm going to put you on the spot here to r- try to recall it. The now and quote of morning and dancing. Is this ringing a bell? Oh, yes, it does. Cause I've thought about it often. He said, um, we are, uh, I, I, I'm going to summarize yeah, it. Please. Um, 
but um, he said, we are un... The part I remember that's directly, I'll quote in a second, but to give some context, he's saying, like, we are constantly torn between mourning and dancing, and that we really do not live our life to the fullest extent in which we could because we refuse to do both. He said, we are um, too uh, ashamed to mourn and too shy to dance. Mm. And so we do neither. And, right. and, and, and so we live in this, in this sermon in which he delivered that quote that I cited. Um, we live in this perpetual sort of mid place yes. where we allow ourselves to experience neither, either the depths of our, and, and he said another thing in that sermon, um, that I can't remember if I said earlier, but he said, you know, the, the, we, we are constantly sort of in denial of these extremes and, 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 voices are trying to convince us like it is not as bad as we fear or as good as we might hope he says that as well elsewhere in the sermon and and that um you know we we're always sort of competing against that thing instead of entering into it and 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 stepping into it and fully embracing the this is what we 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 talked about a bit last week touched on it for a number of of moments um but in in the perpetual need we have to keep going, mm-hmm. we are denying ourselves the the breath, the yes. space to sit in the ashes and and say to ourselves and 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 recognize that we have lost so much. But not only that we have lost so much, but perhaps the greatest loss of this entire season would be for the individuals who have not. And, and this is going to be an arrogant statement. I don't even know that I've properly done this. So let me get ahead of that. I don't need, I'm about to say something that I don't know if I have fully embodied, but the individuals who have lost the opportunity to recalibrate, recalibrate and recognize what matters most to them. And, and yeah. And, and to I take think- the, op- yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but I can't get away from Key's words. I feel it. I am alive. Mm-hmm. I am alive. Like she was, she was at the moment of taking it, of being done, yeah. and and you know, and and that that put wind in her sails is to recognize I am alive. And I think yeah. a lot of us, as you just alluded, live in that middle ground. I mean, my goodness, is that what lukewarmness is about scripturally? It's not mm. you're doing it wrong or you're not doing enough. It's do something. <laughs> Be alive. Yeah. Well, but that's a, yeah, because that's the thing is 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 maybe it's not so much about and I'm I'm this is in real time. I didn't yeah. know necessarily you're going to bring that up, but like lukewarmness from that passage of scripture, which I don't have in front of me, but you know, I would rather you be hot or you be cold, but if you be lukewarm, I would spit you out of my mouth is, is the scripture that's, that's mentioned there. And it is worth saying that hot and cold and lukewarmness are states of being, not states of doing. And we have so frequently contextualized that as, so make sure you're on fire for Jesus. Right. You know, you don't want to, you know, it would even be better to be a a stone cold heretic than, you know, to be in that middle ground. But these are states of being. This is a condition of your spirit, the condition of who you are. You are, 
you are either um, in at least approaching the recognition of your aliveness of your vibrance um, or you are the, you know, one of the worst feelings is that just numbness, that sense well, and, of like, yeah, you know, what the, the metaphor that's coming to me is directly from the film. You, <laughs> you shepherd goodness towards tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And if you're not even unto death, yes, because in that death, you are now alive, both literally and metaphorically. Yeah. Or you're trying to claim that goodness as your own, mm-hmm. which subverts and cuts off and aborts its capacity to engage with tomorrow. I'm, I'm being yes. very direct with the metaphor here. No, of but course. it's right there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for me personally, the way this film ends with those shouts and jubilant sounds mm. of children is a is as much joy bringing as it is indictment mm. be alive yeah be present mm-hmm. live here now it's what you've got don't yes. you know you you it's jaguar paw on the ridge yelling come on yes yeah and 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 it's powerful and and yeah, I don't I don't have a ton else that's in there. So if you've got something Sure. No, I mean it. honestly the 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 unfortunate reality is that I have more affection and more moments to identify about this film than I have times or or space to be able to unpack because um it is a really affecting it is a really affecting movie. Um Are you there any things about- you've left out that you want to well, not taking notes, I don't know, and 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 oh, oh, not yeah. not not much is. Well, that's uh, your own fault. <laughs> it is my own fault. <laughs> it's the movie's fault. Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, but uh, but I I will say just because it just came back to me when you said that, like you mentioned that there was no judgment in what Jasper said when he yes. was talking about like loss, and the phrase that came to my mind that I almost blurted out was he's relentlessly tender, mm. and. And I feel like that could be said about so like I think so much of this film, again, it's from Theo's perspective. So we're talking about things that are on the, you know, more national or global scale. Like we're talking about events in the world, but it is also very much about one man's like sort of uh, walk through, like you said, shepherding shepherding new beginnings to tomorrow Mm -hmm. and and taking this moment i i love it so much that julian who was this social and political activist and uh you know entrenched in with the fishes who we later found out betrayed her and had her assassinated you know essentially and he was told by her that she could trust theo there was this there was this intimacy of relationship amidst all of the other like turmoil or anything like that like if anything goes wrong you can trust theo yeah and theo did not even trust himself yes he was all like you need to get to a doctor is what you need right. you know like and and i feel like that moment that you keep alluding to such a powerful moment but i, I felt it kick it mm. kicked you know and that that moment when 
it is recognized that life still exists within mm-hmm. and 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 that that I know we're talking about in the context of the story a physical baby and a physical mother, but that that kick like mm-hmm. the, you know I'm alive that that kick like I, I, I feel this this kick this this pulse this thing that says no that you know I'm I'm alive I you know so reluctant to to share this this story because the context could be taken in so many different ways um I'm going to do my best to share this story because it's on my heart to share it and I'm going to try very very hard not to make a sideways socio-political message in sharing this story because the story is very personal to me um, and I'm going to do my best to contextualize it in the spirit in which we're having this conversation and then maybe after that I might I might be done uh, because this speaks so largely to what children of men uh, means to me um, when my own son was uh, uh, we my wife and I had heard the heartbeat when mm-hmm. my son was uh, in development and it was a special and precious moment to us that same day i returned to work for the second half of the day i had taken the first half of the day off and i returned to work and there was a gentleman there uh who made a really ridiculous comment and i still to this day he was an incisive individual he was somebody who liked to uh, not incisive uh, inciting individual yeah. he liked to explode things up and make controversies. this isn't the guy who wanted to have the superpower of pants pooping was it no it wasn't because that sounds like the same guy <laughs> no 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 it's nowhere the, he got into fights the superpower poop pants guy was much kinder than this other okay, individual okay. That, I, that i'm talking about um no so uh but uh so when you know on that day that we heard the heartbeat and everything that was the day that my wife and i had kind of decided after we get past that point then We'd already told intimate family members, but we could start spreading the news a bit. So I shared with my coworkers and uh, my boss at the time, uh, who I still work with to this day, but that my boss at the time had, you know, gotten balloons and and like put balloons on the back of my chair, like Reed's going to be a daddy. Yay. It was a really exciting moment. And then this coworker of mine made a really ridiculous comment. Um, and without uh, pulling the punch or miscontextualizing, he made a really ridiculous comment about like, Hey, congratulations. I mean, it's not a baby yet, but congratulations. And when he said that, which I know had to have some degree of intention of, I'm going to poke the bear. I'm going to get sure, ridiculous sure. about this, you know? And it's exactly the thing that happened. You know, the, the eight other people in the cubicles around me immediately begin to have this spurious argument about like, what, what in the world are you talking about? And, and even if you have some degree of perspective that is worth conversing about, why in the world would you say that to this man right, at, right. on this day? You know? And so they're arguing about this and, and I've, I've no naivete that he was stealing the moment. He was, he was seizing the moment to turn attention to himself. That's kind of how he was. And so, uh, that's what was happening. And they debated about it for maybe 15, 20 minutes or whatever, sitting there, offensive thing to say, blah, blah, blah. And then finally he turns around and is like, well, what? I mean, like, you knew what I meant, right? Turns to me. He was like, you knew what I meant, Mm -hmm. right? And I turned to him and and I said, well, I know everybody's kind of arguing about it. And this, this response came up very much from just a very immediate impulsive reaction he said but when he said you knew what i meant right i said um i said well to me honestly the argument is irrelevant because the heartbeat that i heard today 
is the same heart that I will feel against my chest when he goes to sleep on my chest. It's the same heart that I'll hear when, uh, you know, that I'll feel when he's close to me. It's the same heart that I will do everything I can in my life to protect and to shepherd and to nurture. That's the same heart that I heard today. So ultimately, all of these other arguments don't matter. And that, Nathan Rouse, is the point I'm trying to make, that when we feel that kick, when we mm-hmm. feel that that I'm alive, yep. you know, that that it 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 recalibrates. You have three children yourself. It recalibrates everything to now like so many of those silly arguments just do not matter right. anymore. And right. it now becomes about shepherding a new beginning into tomorrow. Sure. And um and to be be reverent of the moment that we're in. I think that is a large degree of what would be of value for us to pivot our hearts towards in seasons like this when we're trying to navigate learning how to lose, navigate a global pandemic, navigate all of these different subjects is, uh, you know, Apocalypto and Children of Men. It, it, it's weird, the crossover. They're both, resonance. Yeah, it, there is. They both came out in 2006. Um, they, uh, they, they both involve like, you know, uh, a quest of sorts, uh, one because, and, and both of them are protagonists were kind of thrust into the quest against their, against their will, um, and ultimately end with the birth of a child that then they do everything they can to protect and one, you know, the protagonist lives and the other one he does not. But, um, but there, there is, there's a lot of crossover in that. And I feel like that's a big takeaway from these these pair of, you know, last week and this week that we've been talking about is just been thinking a tremendous amount about can't say it any better than you did. Just shepherding a new beginning into tomorrow is uh, is just a powerful, powerful way. And, and, and I feel I feel in in you know, enlivened in my spirit. And I feel like that is, uh, you know, a, a beautiful thing to kind of you know, put a, put a note on there with, well, um, read. So you're alive <laughs> to answer, uh, Kevin, Kevin Garvey's seniors Who? question. Uh, Kevin, 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 is that what you're looking for? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Kevin Garvey seniors question. What's next? Well, you shepherd and shepherd a new beginning into tomorrow. That's what you do. Isn't, um, I, I, you're not, you didn't mean to do this, but that episode is what's on the conversation an hour ago it's interesting to me kevin garvey senior has dri- has drifted far from his center mm. the scene that i had found such deep found so deeply moving in season one it is enough uh, it is enough yeah. mm. he loses it he loses yeah. that yeah he what does. now yeah. well what now you're in it mm-hmm. yeah. you know it you're is alive enough. Mm-hmm. find a way to make new tomorrow no absolutely anyway, absolutely sorry yeah um so you want to explain what the fog meter is uh, the fog meter out? is our very specific metric uh fear and god how scary was the thing how substantive is a thing we use it uh pretty much uh, tech, uh literally every film uh and we'll occasionally utilize it in non-film media as well um you know, uh, this movie uh, is lodged so deeply in my spirit that I don't really look at it through a scare lens or not or fear lens even. That said, I do know people for whom it's actually very harrowing to them and, and mm. 
uh, have, have even at times been, I've got a one friend in particular I'm thinking of who's like, how do you endure that? And, and so I, I recognize that maybe on its face, it is a bit more harrowing than my, my being accustomed to it. Yeah. Uh, We'll we'll see. So knowing that, and even knowing the eerie resonances of it, I think I would go with about a seven on the, the fear metric. Understood. Um, there's a couple of really tense moments um, and, uh, you know, real, like you said, I could see why a film like this would be, I, I do not find it difficult to watch. I find it very emotional to watch. In this most recent re- rewatch, I probably cried like six or seven times just sitting there watching it in ways I didn't expect to. Um, so, honestly, I think uh, I think I'm going to join you in your seven. I think that feels, I think that feels right. Um even as much as as I don't find it particularly scary, sure, uh, I can see how it would be harrowing. Um, I don't even need to ask you the God meter. It's I mean, for me, it's a ten. I would imagine it's comparable I mean, to you. Like in forty years, if any movie unquestionably received a ten from me, it's this one. So, I mean, it's it, it, it's I mean, absolutely stunning. In defense of tw- uh, fifteen years ago, me eleven. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly no absolutely um and so that means that we give on the fog meter we give children of men directed by alfonso Cuaron and starring um clive owen a an eight and a half out of ten uh a pretty substantive showing uh just- i want to thank you i mean I, in some <laughs> ways i feel like i don't I, I feel like i'm not sure that i rose to the occasion for my own liking for this conversation in part that's simply because it is uh for me at least a a a deep calling to deep kind of thing and i don't last week we talked for two and a half hours almost on uh, a dead languaged adventure film this one i'm just at a loss because oh man i don't even really know how to unpack it all do you Um, this is so random but maybe as a final note i'm glad i thought of it before we close down but do, do you know that do you remember that moment that they um when Miriam is is sort of praying and chanting over the body of Julian after she's died. And uh, I think Jasper even recounts it in a different way where they say Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember where I read this, so I might be getting it slightly wrong. But if memory serves, it is um, a, a, a line from like the sacred texts of Hinduism. Uh, of, of, I would from, believe that. Uh, from from the Hindu religion, and it means the peace that passes understanding. Wow! And yeah, and that that's yeah, and, what. And to clarify, I don't think he's echoing her at all. I think it's purely him, and I think that he's, he's just, just yeah, in he's that just wavelength. Saying, yeah. Yes, yeah. But I just thought I, that, like, yeah. I, it's funny. I never knew the definition of it, but I forgot that she does it. But because I love Michael Caine so much, it sticks out. His sing songy of that, I will just occasionally think of in my going, oh, comings and goings yeah. in life again shanty, having no shanty, idea shanty. what it meant yeah thank but you it for means, sharing that thank you yeah. for being you thank you for being alive um <laughs> like thank you for together with this silly little show we do attempting to shepherd something good and make a new beginning into tomorrow and uh next week we are gonna finish the leftovers um wow. and that's exciting and sad all at the same time and i don't truthfully know or remember what's after that other than hey read your book Um, (laughs) exactly exactly i'm gonna let you send us out with your tag 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, brother, I love you. I love this conversation. I love getting the chance to have these conversations with you. So thank you as well. Very, very much for them. Um, we're alive. We're alive. I'm thankful for it. Um, so as we say on every episode, listeners, thank you very, very much for sticking with us and staying in. Um, and we hope you've seen this movie and that you've enjoyed it. If you have particular feelings about this or any of the films we cover, then please reach out to us in the variety of ways that you can, uh, which you'll hear about in a moment if you don't already know. Uh, but as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. And so in that spirit, we urge you to fear nothing else mm. and to be on your way rejoicing. Um, we'll see you next week, everybody. Shanti, shanti, shanti. Shanti, shanti, mm. shanti. Mm. See you Bye. next week, guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright, who helped me read Lackey write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.